coming Sunday, I'd like to talk to you about heaven. It all centers around this Bible study of hope. And uh, so you can direct your hope in the, in the right way, rebuild your hope. And uh, if you have this hope, never forget this. It's going to show up in your life. I don't care what you say. I don't care what your circumstances are. If you have the hope that we've been studying for the past several weeks, then uh, it'll reflect in your lifestyle. Your priorities will change. And what's not important will all of a sudden become important. Eternity is one heartbeat away for all of us. And nobody has promised our next one. And uh, we need to be ready for that day that the Bible promises will come uh, one way or the other. So uh, tonight I plan to finish this study on hope. And then for the next several Wednesday nights, we have a treat for you on Wednesday night. It's not edible. Sorry. Uh, We're waiting on the A Center for that. Uh, the watermelon and the ice cream and that kind of thing. And we're going to have those services. Those of you that were with us in Baker, you know. We'll show up for church and pastor will walk to the podium and say, if you would, we've received the offering. That's always priority. But uh, we will exit to the A Center. We have some ice cold watermelon. Or we'll bring a supply of toaster ovens up here and we'll have waffles. Or... We'll have wings now that we have wing stop. Hallelujah. Just right around the corner. I just feel, you know, the spirit of the Lord on that one. I don't mean to patronize. I forget we have live streaming. So you folks bear with me. <laughs> Got caught right there, buddy. I want to tell you about wing stop and what happened to me yesterday. This is a, a really interesting story. Uh, I went to wing stop yesterday for lunch. It calls me. I can hear it at home calling me. I don't live very far away. But uh, anyway, I show up and I notice Sister Murphy's car out in the front. And I knew that they were having a meeting, a little hen party as I call it. No offense, but is what it is. So I thought, you know what? They're well into their meal by now and probably finished by the time I got there. And I'm not going to worry about it. I'll sit at the table and they'll soon be leaving. So I walked in, and sure enough, uh, Sister Murphy and the small entourage of people that was with her were there. And uh, by the way, she's liking the place as much as I am. She's asking me now, you want to go to Wingstop? And I just, it's just a, a witness. It's a witness to the will of God. Anyway, so uh, I walked in there, and there was a very good friend that attends a very large church in the area. Uh, that was in there. He's, he's a music director there. Their pastor was there, and their sound man was there. And so here was Sister Murphy and, and her crew on one side, and here's these other folks on this side, and I didn't know where to sit. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I've never felt so lost in my entire... I'm not kidding. I, I, I felt so weird. I should have left is what I should have done. And had I seen the, well, yeah, I could have at least called somebody and not felt so stupid. But if I had seen the other folks there from the other church in the area, uh, not Pentecostal, I'm not saying that. Uh, but had I seen them, I would have left. I'd just gone somewhere else. So I decided to set one table behind the folks that I knew from the area church and give them, the folks with Sister Murphy, privacy. And I just felt really weird with my wife behind me 
at one table. And then these other folks right there at the next table. I didn't finish my lunch. I sat there and I ate as much as I could and the pressure just got so intense. I just shoved it all back, spoke to everybody and left. And the folks that were there with Sister Murphy before me were still there when I left. So my plan of even going to start with knowing that they were there and they would leave before me, that didn't work. So I've learned a lesson that lady folks can chat at lunch almost as long as men folks can. And uh, that's directed at somebody sitting over there. And, uh, but uh, anyway, it's all good. Back to Wednesday nights. Watermelon, waffles, wings. And our other next W is worship on Wednesday. So we'll bring the music team in. So we have these, we call them wow nights. Wings on Wednesday, watermelon on Wednesday, waffles on Wednesday, and worship on Wednesday. Isn't that neat? That's just, that's amazing. Pastor's impressive sometimes. And when we go out there and start eating that ice cold watermelon, you'll be smiling and not laughing at me. You'll be, yes, pastor's brilliant. So, anyway, you didn't ask for all of that. That's just a little lanyard. So uh, what can I say? God's good. You notice progress out here. I uh, hope to be pouring concrete uh, here in a few days. And uh, weather's cooperating. Thank God for that. We got some great news uh, on our building where the building was supposed to be delivered in October. They're bumping it up, and uh, we should have it in a few days. And uh, so as soon as that's done, hopefully you'll see some steel going up. But if you walk out there, or I'll tell you what, if, of course, talking to this group, I don't even know how many of you is able to do this. I can barely do it but walk up the steps and go all the way to the end of the hall and look out that back door upstairs. Then you can really see the building from a bird's eye view. See, I'm telling you, I'm brilliant. Out of my mind, brilliant. <clears throat> and uh, so, uh, but if y'all if can make it up there, and keep in mind, just making it up there is not, that's only half the journey. Then you have to come down, so you need to keep that in mind. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just having a good time here tonight at church, even though I am, guess, making fun of people. But it is what it is, ain't it? <laughs> but I'm excited. It's going to be a lovely facility when it's finished here. What, next two or three weeks, I've, I understand, boo? Is that right? It'll be done a couple of three weeks. So, hey, God parted the Red Sea. And I'm already learning that Boo Tipper can walk on water, man, when it comes to He's handling it. So, uh, but anyway, he'll be ready, hopefully, around the first of the year. Our presbyter for our section, Brother Ronnie Malonson, has already asked me to consider hosting our Section 2 fall banquet for preachers, pastors, uh, next fall. So, hopefully, he'll be ready by then. And uh, we, might, we might be able to do that. So, excited about what God's doing. I want to jump into our Bible study tonight, the necessity of hope. And if you've not heard these lessons, I would encourage you to go to our Grace app and um, listen to the ones that, that you've missed. Uh, this, this material has just really impacted my life personally. I've always been an eternity-driven man as far back as I can remember. I think about eternity often. Every day. Every day. Of course, I have some folks over there that I want to see. And it's a huge motivator. 
But um, I want you to start thinking about it. I know relevance to most culture, uh, most cultures, is what you're going through today. That's being relevant. But there's another relevance called eternal relevance that we need to actually put more priority on that because it is the most important. In our Bible study, just to quickly get you back on on track with us, we our, our uh, title for this series is The Necessity of Hope. You have to have it. You have to have it. And so I've given you some things that will help strengthen and purify your hope. Uh, number one is hope can be secured by abiding in Christ. And that just simply means everything you do revolves around the will of God and God's purpose in your life. You seek first the kingdom. That's foremost uh, of importance. And uh, we spent actually an entire Wednesday night on that one point. And uh, there was actually a lot of material that was given about that, given about that. Then we talked to you about uh, the fact that hope is established in love. And I, I did not use the word love to be generic. It's, it's a godly love. It's, it's divine love. And he started the whole thing. Hereby we perceive the love of God, the Bible said. For God so loved the world. It's love on that level. Hope is established in love. And then uh, I could go through this material I reviewed heavily last Wednesday night, and I'll not do it tonight. But tonight I want to give you two final points on hope, and this will not be a very long Bible study uh, by design. Let me read our scripture text found in 1 John chapter 3. We'll read verse 2. The Bible said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This hope, listen to Pastor very carefully, and this is uh, the point that we will start with tonight. That the hope that the Bible presents to us, found in 1 John, is fulfilled in Christ's likeness. The more you're like Christ, the more this hope will develop. To say it very culturally correct, the more of a Christian you are, the more this hope will develop. The more you dabble with the world, and the more you dabble with sin, it, it puts a, a stranglehold on the hope that I'm talking about. And the reason it does is because it drowns out eternity. You can't dabble with the world and sin and then think about heaven and or hell all the time at the same time. One is going to take precedent over the other. So for you to dabble in worldliness, in sin, to live in conflict with what the Word of God teaches, you have to drown out eternity. You have to. You'd lose your mind if you didn't. Knowing that you're not right with God, but thinking about eternity all the time and make somebody crazy. Uh, maybe not a literal crazy, but you just live in a constant state of conflict and, and within yourself. And I know people that live there. They're the most miserable people on the planet. They're very happy when they're in the world with their friends and doing all the stuff out there. But then when they come to church, there's an element of condemnation 
And then they feel bad about it and they come down here and they sob and repent and all that burden's lifted and they feel great, but they go back out of the church, back into their other life, start doing all that stuff all over again, and here comes the condemnation again. And they just live in this cycle. And after a while, you know, the writer of Hebrews talked about people whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Bottom line, people who do not want to fulfill Christ's likeness in their life. They don't want to be the ultimate maximum Christian they can be. You do. You have to burn your conscience. You have to sear the effect of it to get it quiet, to silence it. And then when people do that, when something traumatic happens in your life and you want to come back to God, it's difficult because you can't feel God on some level like you used to. We need to be aware of that. Uh, I've known of people all of my life, and so have a lot of you, that's gone to church all of their life. A, they never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, or B, they never developed it. And they do this balancing act. They're, they're, they're sitting on a fence post. And something happens in their life, and they want to make this comeback, and they'll come to the altar for sometimes months, even years, because they've lost the feeling of conviction. They know what they need to do, but they can't feel it. You ought to talk to somebody that feels like that sometimes and try to get your head around what they're saying. What do you mean you can't feel the presence of God? The Bible teaches this, that it can happen. If you go too far with it, you'll turn to a reprobate mind where you... It's not that God can't reach you, it's that you can't reach God. We need to understand that. You need to be, every minute of every day, you need to be cognizant of eternity and which part of it you're planning to attend. You need to be cognizant of that every day. And that's why it's, it's, it's imperative that we keep God real in our life. Our relationship with God has to be real. And it has to be a relationship with God, not based on your relationship with your church. I think it ought to be the other way around. I think we should have a relationship with God, and then that determines the fulfillment of our relationship with our church. You need to come to church because you love God, not the pastor. You need to come to church because you love God, not because you love the people. You need to come to church because you love God and you love the Word of God, not because it's a really cool church and I fit there. Y'all understand that? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm belaboring this point, even though I, I don't really need to, but I, I just feel compelled to say these things because of what I counsel with on a consistent basis with people, you know, this silliness that people go through in relationships and da-da-da-da-da. And you're not thinking about heaven, and you're not thinking about hell. You're not thinking about eternity. The Bible says if you're thinking about that, then your priorities are going to be different. And if you get your God priority correct, then all these other things will start working out. Jesus taught that. So that's why I'm belaboring this point. The hope that the Bible teaches will be fulfilled in your Christ-likeness. The more you're like him, then the more you'll want to see him and be with him. I've said before, I want to be the kind of Christian person that when the rapture takes place, it's minimum change. You know, we'll be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. How much will you have to change? 
Will it freak you out or will you be comfortable in that new role? If it freaks you out, I'm not sure there's going to be much change. Probably hardly any. And the change you make will be about one second too late. Another Bible study for another time. So, but my point tonight is very closely related to the previous calls to holiness or Christ-likeness. There's a point in the life of a child of God that he should long to be more like Christ. And if that's not happening to you as a child of God, then you're, you're stuck in some mentality or some attitude. There must be a striving for Christ-likeness in this life. We, we should pursue that. But it will not be fully realized, the Bible teaches, until we're transformed in the rapture. But Philippians chapter 3 speaks of a goal. It speaks of a prize. Paul said, I'm forgetting the things that are behind me, and I'm moving forward to a goal, to a prize. That comes to those who answer this upward call or calling to being more Christ-like. You, your, Paul was answering that call. There was something pulling him. I pressed towards the mark of the high calling, he said, in Christ Jesus. That should happen to all of us. We, we should have a desire or a hunger to be more like Jesus. I'm not talking to you generically tonight, and I hope you're getting that point. If that's not happening to you, maybe you need to have some, some days of prayer and fasting and, and to find out what is it in your life or what is it in your head or in your heart that's preventing you from feeling that. The, the, the best thing I can have you understand what I'm saying is, is in a marital situation, and I go there all the time because that's how the Bible compares our relationship with Christ as a husband and wife. But if there's something you're doing as a spouse that is just inherently annoying and aggravating and whatever to your other spouse, and you're having a lot of marital conflict because of it, what is the common sense thing to do? Stop it. But people don't do that. We'd rather separate and divorce and make it really annoying and really complicated. If you could just simmer down. This Casey says all the time, just calm down, look yourself in the mirror, what have you. But there should be a desire in the, in the marital realm to, be, to have a happy, fulfilling relationship, to get rid of the conflict, to get rid of all of that, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't feel that about your marriage, then there's something wrong somewhere. Could be something that transpired over a period of years, Whatever, I'm not here to accentuate that. But if there's something about us that doesn't find a relationship with Christ attractive and that you want to develop that relationship more and more, then we need to do some soul searching. And I, we need to learn how to be objective about that. You need to learn when you're backsliding and you need to learn when you're drawing closer to Christ. There's not a neutral. You're either doing one or the other. There's not an in-between. We need to understand that. So if you're not in pursuit of more fulfillment and more happiness out of your relationship with Christ, then you lack this hope that I've been talking about for the past number of Wednesday nights. This is the challenge of conforming to Romans chapter 8. 
Because everything your flesh says is trying to push you into an opposite direction from spirituality and Christ closeness. Your flesh wants to take you away from that. It's, it's inherent. We're all born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and you're going to fight that carnal nature till the day you die. That's why you have to change it rapture. God ain't going to take that nature of yours up to heaven. He's going to give you a new one and take it up there. But the Holy Ghost on the inside of us should be a magnet, if you will, that pulls us toward Jesus. As a matter of fact, your flesh, your fleshly desires, it desires nothing that is holy and righteous. Your basic inherent flesh don't want any part of that. That's why you rely on your relationship with God and the Holy Ghost on the inside. It empowers you to do that. I talk about that when I teach on holiness. The Holy Ghost will empower you to be like Jesus. That's kind of the point. He gives you something substantive to work with so that you'll have a desire to be more like him and then you can be more like him. If these things aren't happening in your life, folks, something's wrong somewhere. But your flesh desires nothing that is holy, nothing that is righteous. It seeks only to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The Bible teaches that. We reek with that stuff. Everybody does. Oh, not me, Brother Murphy. The reason I'm all messed up is because of my mama and my daddy and my sister and my brother and my aunt and my uncle. and my... No, 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 no. You were born a heathen. You were. We're all born in sin, shaping in a way. The Bible said a child is just a few days old and full of trouble. So we have to understand the necessity of hope. We don't deserve the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But there will be a day when we lay down the bonds of this flesh. They'll be dropped away. And then we will have the mind of Christ and enjoy complete purity of life and motive from thereafter. And that's that golden city that I want to be a part of so bad. Think about it every day. I told Sister Murph yesterday, preached to her a little while in the car just in case she needed it. <clears throat> but that we need to think about heaven. I want to go to heaven. When you hear people that pass from this life to that one, I'm almost envious of them. They've got the race won, the battle's won, it's all done. It's, it's all cool. I want, I want that experience so bad. I think about it every day. The fifth thing then that will close out this material is the necessity of hope is characterized by purity. The Bible said in 1 John 3, every man that hath this hope if you have this hope on the level that we've uh, desired to teach it on, if you have it, you will desire to purify yourself. Now, I talked to you in one of our previous lessons about cleansing. Cleansing is one thing. Cleansing is from kind of an outside in. It's when you convert. It's when you fill the Holy Ghost. It's when you baptize. There's a cleansing thing that goes on here. Kind of God works from the outside and works back on the end, on the inside. And then he fills you up with the Holy Ghost. Then purification starts from the inside out. And if you have this hope, it will be characterized by purity, being pure. 
You know, it's an interesting thing. We've taken our youth group down this past several times, and we're probably due to do it again. Uh, we'll discuss that with Brother Dave. But uh, we asked them to stay pure, uh, virgin-wise, until they're married, both the boy and the girl. It rather infuriates me that in our current society that the boys don't mind taking the virginity of a girl away, but when they want to get married, they want to marry a virgin. It's the biggest hypocritical thing I've heard in a long time. But we encourage our young people morally to stay pure. But that's not where purity stops. And we have to understand tonight that if our hope of heaven is to be like Christ, then it will become a passion in this life that we're living right now. Hope that's characterized by purity will encourage great commitment to accomplishing what God intends to accomplish in our life. The whole action will be purifying in everything that the child of God does. No one can be thoughtful of heavenly things and it not affect what is going on in this life down here. So again, in, in previous lessons, we've talked about the difference between purification and cleansing. So now we come to the focus of purifying. Not only are we to separate from sins committed in the past, but in turning our back on sin of the past, we turn towards Jesus and we pursue him with such energy that there is a purity present at all times. It's not that I repent on Saturday so I can be in good shape for worship on Sunday, but I'm going to live like the devil the rest of the day. I, I use that term loosely, living like the devil. I hope everybody understands what it means. But tonight... That has a little bit of a different tone to me that, you know, if, if you have a tendency to lie, a passion towards Christ is going to break that habit. If you have a, a, a tendency to lust, if you have a tendency to be proud, uh, you can go right down the list of, of Galatians chapter 5 with all these sins of the flesh. If you have a propensity for those things, a passion towards Christ, those things start, should start tapering off. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus and how wonderful he is, but you don't have the wherewithal to let him empower you to live like him for him. It's just words, and they don't mean nothing. I find it interesting that every church saint expects a certain level of Christianity out of their pastor. But bless God, he ain't got one ounce of right to re expect any Christianity out of me. Isn't that funny? Um, so if I chose to live a lesser Christian lifestyle, none of you would be really happy about it, but you want me to understand why you do. But we're going to the same place, and the same price tag is attached to both of us. God's not requiring more out of me to get to heaven because I'm a pastor. Neither is he requiring less out of you because you're a saint. Does that make sense to anybody? We have to obey the word of God. And if you have this hope, it's going to be characterized in a purification process in your life. Notice that John writes that this saint purifies himself. It's not the preacher doing it. <clears throat> it's not the spouse constantly reminding you that you're a heathen it's not your kids constantly pointing out the error of your way or your parents 
you do it. What did James say in his epistle that uh, the man that beholds himself in the mirror says, you're a dirty, rotten, low-down, good-for-nothing, scoundrel, loser, whatever, whatever, and then walks away and forgets everything he just saw. We've mastered that in our current culture. Everybody wants to say I'm a Christian, but nobody wants to live like one. And that's, a, uh, that's an interesting paradox to me. And a paradox is not where two ships come in to port. <clears throat> so, John says that the saint purifies himself. This means there must be an active pursuit of holiness or purity. The New Testament doctrine of holiness is not one that is merely submitted to, but rather pursued after. It's not a disciplinary gauge to kind of keep you at some pastor's level of what he thinks holiness is. It's, it's being married and wanting to please your spouse. You pursue this. I said this the other morning preaching, that if there was more Bible, God, uh, we, we could obey it. It would make us more like you than bring it on. We want less Bible. Dear God, Brother Murphy, don't ask for more Bible. Can't handle the one we got. But that's what I'm talking about tonight. It's a pursuit of a relationship to be more like him. So when other New Testament references are noted, an understanding appears that this pursuit of holiness and purity is something that God is very serious about. He's not playing games here tonight. I stress that Sunday morning. This isn't a game. It's not some social connect point to make you feel happy about yourself. This is heaven or hell, folks. Uh, now, you can sit back and say, well, I'm ready to go just like I am. I hope so. But if you are ready to go just like you are, then why not try to be better so that you can be better suited for that moment? I don't have to change that much when I get there. That's only in idea ideology it's not reality but i hope you understand the principle <clears throat> this passage that we've read in john is also very similar in second corinthians 7 uh he said in, in in verse 1 having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god we should have a desire to want to do that. It shouldn't have to be pounded and crammed down your throat. And people said they took holiness when I was eight and crammed it down my throat. And I hate it ever since. Well, I'm sorry that happened. And whoever did that, shame on them. But that still does not diminish the Bible teaching about the subject. That doesn't exempt you from saying, okay, I got burned real bad by a preacher with holiness. He took it like a stake and just in my face with it. And now I don't want anything to do with it ever again. No, you need to read the Bible, clear your conscience, clear your head of all that, read the Bible and say, I want to do what the Bible says. There's a same, very similar thing mentioned in Hebrews. We, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit, inherit the, problem, the, the promises. The Bible teaches this principle. You pursue after it. You pursue purity. There's another passage in Colossians, Colossians 3, 5. Mortify 
Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So if this purifying is to take place, then how is it accomplished? The answer lies within the verse. I purify my own life by considering the perfect life of Christ. That's how you do it. You read the Bible and you find out about him and say, that's what I want to be like. And that's what you do. You don't have to have a PhD and whatever else to be able to do this. Lastly, we further assist this process that we may set our affection on things above rather than those things down here. You realize out of all the sweet little things that you love, there's a very sweet lady that I know, wonderfully admitted recently, that she's just addicted to shoes. I love shoes. See, I'm not giving anything away because that applies to virtually every female sitting in this building right now. <clears throat> so y'all look around, who's he talking about? Well, everybody. So, but I'm sorry to disappoint you. But at the time of rapture or your passing, you're not taking one pair of shoes with you. I'm sorry. That closet with all them beautiful shoes that you got half price at Dillard's and tried to persuade your spouse on how much money you saved him with that purchase. They're not going with you. You fellas that love golf clubs and boats and guns, and I'm sorry. You're not taking it with you. There are some things over on the other side that you need to start falling in love with. For where your treasure is is where your heart will be. And if you have it down here, if all of your dearly beloved things are here, including family, you have a bad mix-up of priority. The Bible said to make your own calling and election sure, work out your own soul salvation. That don't mean you apply whatever doctrine you want. But against all of the hindrances and difficulties in your life, you work it out. You make it happen. I still say tonight heaven's going to be cheap at any price. And I believe that. Thank the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful one more time for the word of God. My, what wisdom, what guidance, what advice, what counsel it gives. We're so thankful for the word of God tonight. And I pray for this wonderful congregation of people here tonight that we could get less of the world on our mind and more of heaven on our mind. I pray that we could be eternity guided and to be willing to do whatever it takes to make that golden city, that we can somehow convince ourselves that you're not going to understand the sin and the transgression in our life, but you're looking for purity. You're looking for purity. You're looking for people who is looking forward to your appearing, not dreading it. I pray tonight that you would talk to us. God, talk to our church. That we can be rapture ready anytime. That we can be ready to meet you anytime and do it with a smile on our face without fear and without trembling. Let this be a comfort and a blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I need for everybody to do something in unison and in one accord. You ready? I'm going to count to one, two, three. And I want you to turn around and look at the clock. One, two, three, look. Thank you, Brother Murphy. You're welcome.
Very glad to help you out tonight, and don't ever forget it. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Love you tonight. Fellowship, and uh, we'll see you Sunday.